This Mishnah is very similar to the previous Mishnah, where we discuss what happens in a case where a woman is seen to go into a room alone with another man, and so it's presumed that they had relations together. And the question is whether that man was a mumze or a nosin, somebody who it's forbidden to have relations with, and if she had relations with him then she would be forbidden to marry a koyain or whether it's a regular Jew, in which case she's still permitted to marry a Koyain. What happens, asks the Mishnah, if Hosam Uberis, she became pregnant, so now we know for sure that she certainly had relations with him. The question is, who was he? And the people asked her, What is the situation? What is the nature of this fetus? Now we need to know what the status is of the child as well. If she had relations and became pregnant from a mumzer, who is somebody who was born from illegal relations, or from a nosin, who is descended from the Givonim, who sort of joined the Jewish people, but were never allowed to marry into the Jewish people, and the child of a mumzer or a nosin is also considered to be a mumzer or a nosin. And if indeed this woman had relations and became pregnant from a mumzer or a nosin, so she herself is now forbidden to marry a koyain. But she can marry a regular Jew, however her child would be forbidden to marry anybody, because the child himself would be considered a mumza or a nosin. So she claims that it's Meish Peloni from such and such a man, the Choyenhu, which doesn't mean that he is a Koyen, it means that he is somebody who would not invalidate me from marrying a Koyen. And by extension that means that the child would not be considered a mumza or a nosin, and he would be able to marry a regular Jew. So Rabban Gamliel, Rabban Menes, Rabban Gamliel and Rabban say, just like in the previous Mishnah, that she is believed. She has a chazaka, a previously known status of being allowed to marry a koyain. So we assume that that chazaka remains, and especially since a woman is generally going to make sure that she doesn't invalidate herself from marrying a koyain. She'll make sure that she has relations with a man who would not invalidate her. So because of that, and because of the fact that she has a chazaka of being allowed to marry a koyain, she is believed. Rabbi Yeshua, but Rabbi Yeshua says, We are not living by her mouth. We do not trust her words. Rather, she is assumed to have become pregnant from a nosin or a mamzer until she brings a proof for her words that the man with whom she had relations was somebody else. Mishnah Yud, this Mishnah goes according to the opinion of Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Yezer, but it's going to seem to contradict their opinion in the previous Mishnahis. On Rabbi Yaisi, Rabbi Yaisi said, Maisa, there was a story which once happened between Noikes with a young girl, who went down to fill up water from the spring of water, the saw, and she was forced to have relations with somebody. Now this young girl herself was certainly not yet married, so the only reason why she would be forbidden to marry a coin in the future would be if the person who forced her to have relations was a mamza or a nosin. So it seems to be a very similar case to the previous couple of Mishnayis. But in this case, Omar Biyochim Menuri, Rabbi Yochim Menuri said that only if Imroiv Anche or Irmasin Lakuhuna, if the majority of the people who are in that city are those whose relations would not invalidate her from marrying a Koyain, only then Haizit Nos Lakuhuna is she permitted to marry a Koyain. In the previous Mishnahs, Raman Gamliel and Rabbi did not require this, which seems to imply that even if the majority of the city were Mamzerim and Nasinim, she would still be believed and be allowed to marry a koyain. So why in this case is it only true if the majority of the city are not a mumza or a nosin? 
So one explanation could be that we're talking about a very young girl, so her claim is much stronger, she doesn't really understand all of the facts, and she's possibly more likely to lie. And therefore only if we have Rave, the principle that we follow the majority, only then would she be allowed to marry a Kohen, but otherwise we ignore her claim. Alternatively, in the previous Mishnayas, the woman had relations willingly. So we have the assumption that when a woman decides to have relations with somebody, she won't do so with a man who invalidates her for marrying a Koyane. However, in this case, she was forced to have relations. So we haven't got that assumption, and therefore we do need to worry that it was a Mamza or a Nosin, unless the majority of people there anyway are not a Mamza or a Nosin, and then we have the principle of Roiv following the majority, which would allow her to still marry a Koyane. So the last five Mishnayas, we have seen five incredibly important and fundamental rules which appear throughout Shas, so it's definitely worth understanding and remembering them. And if we just recap quickly, we had Chazaka, where we assume that the status of somebody or an item remains as it has been until now. We have the principle of that if there is a doubt as to whether somebody owes money to somebody else, the person can only take the money from him if he can prove that he is entitled to it. Number three, Bori Vishem or Bori Odif. If there are two people making claims against each other, and one of them is a certain claim that something certainly happened, and the other claim states that possibly something else happened, so the certain claim is stronger. Fourth principle, Migoi, that if somebody says something which is good for him, but he could have said something which would be even better for him. In that case, we assume that he is not lying, because if he was lying, he would have said the thing which is more advantageous for him. And the fifth rule is that of Rav, where we follow the status of the majority. Although certainly it is an obligation to write a kasuba upon marrying a woman, there were certain locations where the custom was not to write it. Now, even if it's not written, it's still certainly an obligation for the husband to keep to whatever is generally written in the kasuba. The main part of which is the money which she receives upon being divorced or widowed. So what would happen in such a location where they didn't have the kasuba written down, and the woman is widowed or divorced, and here, Maris, she claims that Basula Nusosani, you married me when I was a Basula, that I hadn't had relations yet, and therefore my Kasuba is 200 Zuz, but the Huaymer, he, the husband, claims Loichi. That is not the case. Rather, I married you when you were a widow or a divorcee. The point is you would be married to somebody else, and therefore your Kasuba is only 100 Zuz, and they haven't got the actual document of the Kasuba to prove it, either because it was in such a place where they didn't write it at all, or it was in a place where they wrote it, but she had lost it since then. Now we saw a few cases in the previous Perek where the woman claims one thing and the husband claims another thing, and there was a Machloikas between Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi who held that she was believed, and Rabbi Yeshua who held that he was believed. In this case, however, everybody would agree that the husband's claim is believed and that she would only receive 100 Zuz. Why is that? Because in all of the previous cases, in the previous Perek, we had the rule of Bori Vashema, Bori Odif. That the woman was making a certain claim, for example, saying that she was forced to have relations after the Kedushin took place, whereas the husband was making a Shema claim, an uncertain claim that perhaps you had relations before the Kedushin took place. So in such a case, we say Bori Vashema, Bori Odif, and a combination of that rule, together with Chazoka and Migoi, we believe the woman. But in this case, the husband's claim is also a bori. It's also a certain claim. He's saying that I remember that you were a widow, and that I only obligated myself to give a kasuba of 100 zuz. And as well as that, in this case, the husband has a migoi. He could have claimed that he had actually paid her entire kasuba already. 
We'll see later on in the Masechta that if the wife wishes to, she can take the money of the Kasuba early. So he could have claimed that he gave her everything already and that now he owes her nothing. The fact that he's making a claim which obligates him to pay 100 zuz, which is less advantageous for him, so we have a migu to believe him. And because of that, everybody would agree that in this case, the husband is believed and he would only have to pay her 100 zuz. However, having said all of that, imyesh eidim. If there are witnesses, as soon as there are witnesses, that's stronger than anything. That's the strongest evidence which there is in halacha. Imyesh eidim, if there are witnesses who testify sheyotsas behenuma, that the woman went out at the time of marriage with a veil, v'roisho porua, and her hair untied, hanging down onto her shoulders. These two things were done at the wedding of a basula specifically, and not at the wedding of a woman who had been married before. So if witnesses testify that this is what occurred at her wedding, that is very strong indication that she is indeed a basula, and therefore kusubosa masayim, her kusuba would be 200 zuz, despite the husband's migoy and the rule of hametzimei chaveri olav haraya, because once we have witnesses, that is the strongest thing upon which to base the law. Rabbi Yechim Mabareka Aymer. Rabbi Yechim Mabareka says, Afchiluk Kaloyis Raya. The giving out of roasted grain to children is also a proof because that was also a custom, at least in the location of Rabbi Yechim Mabareka, that was also a custom which was done at a wedding of a basula specifically. So if witnesses testify that that occurred at her wedding, then she would also be considered a basula and she would receive 200 zuz. Mishnah base in the debates in the previous parak between Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Yezer versus Rabbi Yeshua, we saw that one of the reasons for Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Yezer was that the woman had a migoy, that she could have made a more advantageous lie. However, Rabbi Yeshua argued, and he considered that migoy to be irrelevant, since there's another rule of Hamitzimei Chaveri Olav Haraya that somebody taking money from somebody else has to bring a proof for the matter. We ignore that migoy. This Mishnah tells us that there is a form of migoy which Rabbi Yeshua agrees to. And that form of migo is known as hapesha osar hua pesha hitter, which literally means the mouth which forbade something is the mouth which permitted it. And that means that if somebody makes a statement, and as a result of that statement, he is sort of obligating himself to something, and then he immediately makes another statement which exempts him from that obligation. Since he is believed about the first statement, he certainly believed to obligate himself to do something. He is also believed about the second statement. And the reason why this is considered a migoy, this is really the best migoy in the world, because he could have kept silent. He could have said nothing if he was lying, if he didn't really owe the money, let's say. So the fact that he said anything, and he said that he could have been obligated, but he's exempt, so we do believe him, since if he was lying, and did owe money but didn't want to pay it, then he would have just kept quiet. Umodio Beishua, Rabbi Yeshua agrees that we do say the principle of Migoy in the following case. When somebody says to his friend, This field which I am now in, and I own, it was once belonging to your father. So he's now sort of obligating himself, saying that it should really be his friends who would have inherited it from his father. But then he continues, But I bought it from him. In such a case, Shonemon, he is believed that he can continue owning that field. Because the same mouth which prohibited that item, or which potentially prohibited that item for himself, that is the same mouth which is able to indeed permit it for himself and remove him from that prohibition. 
However, if there are witnesses who testify that it belonged to his father, and after they testify that, then he claims the Kartiremenu, I bought it from him. In that case, according to Yeshua, he is not believed since it's somebody else who is saying that it's prohibited. There is no reason to believe him to permit that item for himself, and therefore it would indeed be prohibited for him to keep that field unless he can prove that he did indeed buy it from that man.